0: You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Romans seven 14. I'm going to read the rest of this chapter. And it's one of those chapters that you, you really have to pay attention. You can't be looking at your cereal or thinking about other things. It's one of those passages that's almost like a riddle wordplay. And so I'll read it kind of slow. Please pay attention because it's... It is an amazing passage that we'll refer to back today. Romans 7.14 starts out, We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, sold, to a, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate to do, I do. If I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. Does anybody understand that? <laughs> It's good, it's good, trust me. I'll read that last part again. 16 says, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, I, it, I, I myself, wait, <laughs> as it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but is sin living in me. He's talking about a, a sin nature inside of him that when he wants to do good, uh, he's going to say sin is right there. I know that nothing good lives inside of me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Everyone go, (sighs) need a little break there. That's deep stuff right there. This is a passage well worth looking back at this week. And then verse 21 says, so I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Big question mark. And then it says, Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord! Exclamation point. So then I myself... In my mind, i am a slave to God's law, but in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. Everybody, say that's deep. That's deep. I've asked uh, Aaron to come up and pray for us as we begin and try to understand sin and such issues in the Book of Romans. You should be
1: good. Heavenly Father, we we thank you for the opportunity today to learn more about about you and how you came to earth. So. We no longer have to be a slave to sin, and, and Father God, please speak through Joe here as he helps us uh, get through this uh, somewhat twisted of a passage uh, as we figure out how we can overcome sin through you, your son. Yes, God. And Father God, we, we thank you for the time that we can spend together today. In your son's name, amen.
0: Amen. All right, everybody say, uh, say, sin. That is the main topic this morning. Did you know in the book of Romans, there's only 16 chapters, and the word sin in all its forms, sinful, sinners, sin, uh, whatever else combination you can make of the word sin is used in the book of Romans, just the book of Romans. Do you know how many times? 79 times in the book of Romans. Is that a lot for this small book? I think it's a ton. And so it's one of the big themes of the book of Romans, how we can overcome sin, um, Think back, if you will, to your childhood. Can you remember the first time you ever sinned? Can you really? I was thinking about it the other day, and um, my very first memory, it's not a sin, but my very first memory is when I was three years old. Does anybody remember when they were three years old? That's pretty young. That's pretty good. Anybody remember when they were two? Nobody? Maybe a few of you? That's pretty sweet. Uh, When I was three, my brother came home uh, from the hospital he was born, and I remember that morning... Um, me and my dad were in the house, and we ate a big uh, Wheaties breakfast because we had to get ready and prepare for the coming home of the little brother. Um, <laughs> isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Because like, the breakfast of champions, like you're getting ready to meet your little brother for the first time, he's coming home from the hospital. And I clearly remember that memory, and then I clearly remember meeting my brother. Uh, that doesn't have anything to do with sinning. But the first time I remember sinning uh, was a few years later, probably when I was about five, kind of kindergarten-ish age. And I was playing in the park, the neighborhood park with some friends. And there was a kid there named Dennis. And Dennis was playing with his uh, G.I. Joes or something like that. And he, uh, like a bunch of kids were playing. Dennis was like, had all his G.I. Joes out. And he turned to to me and said, Joe, you can't be a part of the G.I. Joe club. I was like, oh, why can't I be a part? He's like, you just can't. (laughs) Go home. And so I went home. And and then and I was playing by myself outside my house, and then and then some other kids also got kicked out of the GI Joe Club, and we were at my house, and we were all mad at Dennis for kicking us out of the GI Joe Club, and so there was this piece of cardboard and some crayons, and we got I it was my, all my idea. It's, it's not I mean it's going to be funny, but it's not um, it's kind of evil as a, as a five year old. Uh, we we took this piece of cardboard and drew a picture of Dennis on this piece of cardboard. And then we started beating up the image of Dennis on the cardboard, just like uppercut and kicking him in the face and then getting up on the uh, picnic table and like dropping down, throwing elbows on this little thing. And, and then it just, got, it just went from there until like, like a serious rage and swearing at Dennis and, and kicking him and this, this little cardboard thing. And we didn't know that Dennis was right around the corner and that he had seen this whole thing and when he came around he said I, I, I see what you guys are doing there was just this guilt that came over me and it's a real as looking back in my in my childhood at least that's the first time I can remember a serious guilt come over me that I shouldn't have been you know doing that I should you know that's just it was a silly thing to do that turned into swearing and beating up this cardboard figurine of of Dennis and I remember just seeing his face in his eyes and he was obviously saddened and and I never again, after that, because of the guilt, because I didn't confess and say, sorry, bro, um, th- there was guilt. And I never again wanted to see Dennis. I never saw him again. I kind of did my own thing. Dennis did his. If I saw him, I'd kind of go a different way and, and play somewhere else. And, and so the question that that, that brings about is this, this confession of sin that, that should have happened, this confession of sin that's so good. And so the the bigger question of this morning as we look at the book of Romans is what if we were to confess? We were, as Christians and and as, as brothers and sisters in Christ, the first to confess sin. It was almost like a fight. Who can be first to confess sin? And I think that's the bigger question of today. We'll turn to the first part of Book of Romans. Um, I, I just want to do a quick review on your notes. There, there might be some things you want to put down for a review of the Book of Romans before we we look at sin. Who wrote the Book of Romans? Now, if you wanted to be, I know that some of you are like really. Big nerd fighters, and you're like, man, I want to be cool and and have really good answers for everybody. You can say who wrote the book of Romans. You could say Paul, because at the Romans one one says Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, and he says to to all of Rome. But then, if you really wanted to be cool, how many of you really want to be cool? <laughs> now, when, uh, me too. Um, <clears throat> when when you're. Um, when you're talking about the book of Romans, you could say, did you know that uh, Paul really didn't write the book of Romans? And they'll say, what? That's silly. And then you could show them. Um, this is just for fun. Verse, uh, Chapter 16, verse 22. Are you ready to, to have fun? <laughs> this is the kind of fun I have when I'm studying the Bible. I like just doing weird things like this. Do you see it? Romans 16, verse 22. Uh, Supposedly what happens is that Paul would have dictated this letter and someone else, maybe a servant of some sort, would have actually wrote it down because it would have been all handwritten. Um, And it says this, I, Tertius, who wrote down this letter, greet you in the Lord. So who wrote the book of Romans? Tertius. That's good, huh? So next time someone's like, yeah, Paul, when Paul wrote in the book of Romans, you could say, well, actually, Paul didn't write the book of Romans. <laughs> it was actually Tertius. He was just dictating it. So just in case you were wondering the kind of things that we, we like to talk about here in the Mill Sunday School, that's one of them. Um, Paul is writing to Rome, a place that he's never been to. Um, he's, he's probably, we think, he doesn't quite say it, but we can kind of confer from the book of Acts and some other letters that he may have been in the city of Corinth writing to Rome because his plan is to go back to Jerusalem and then go to Spain, which uh, if you want to turn back to Romans 16, um, he's on his way to Spain, and he says he's going to drop by. Um, actually, it's Romans 15:23. just in case you want to turn there. It says, but, but now there's just one more place for me to work in these regions since I've been longing for many years to see you. I plan to do so when I go to Spain. Um, and then it says something that some of you might like to see if you how many of you are going to africa this summer Woo! yeah that's a lot of us now the, the the price tag for that trip is quite a bit huh and and most of us aren't rolling in cash and so what we have to do sometimes is write support letters and we have to ask friends relatives family members um, other other organizations say Would you I, I can't afford this trip If it was all up to me And my finances I, I wouldn't be able To go this summer But if, if you want to Join with me And support me Going to Africa Then a lot of good Will come out of it To where I'm going And to myself as well And so you send out These support letters How many of you Have ever sent out A support letter In your entire life To go on some sort of mission Well that's nothing new uh, Verse 24 Romans 15 24, The end of it says I hope to visit you While passing through And to have you assist me On my journey there After after I have enjoyed your company for a while. And this is clearly a financial assistance, that you might assist me, that I might stay with some of you, that you might assist me as I go to Spain. And in other books of the Bible, Paul just says out, out straight, would you start a collection so that when I get there, it won't be a burden to you. You'll already have this money saved up. And so if you're support raising, that's not something that New Life or you just invented. It's in the Bible. It's something that that other people, and it's something that, if, if we aren't going to Africa or ever get a support letter in the mail, we could say, this is great. This is an opportunity for them to go. This is an opportunity for me to support that person. And so maybe Rome, the, the Christians in Rome, whom this letter is addressed to, were thinking, yeah, of course, we'll help Paul. I mean, it's Paul. Why wouldn't you want to help him out? Sweet. All right, so that's your review of the Book of Romans. Um, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll stick with that with the Book of Romans. Re- There's a lot more I could say as review, but I want to get into Harmatology. Do you want to say that word? It's a big one. One, two, three. Harmatology. <laughs> Does anyone have any idea what that is? I hear, I hear lots of like, the study of blah, blah, blah. Because if it ends in O-L-O-G-Y, it's, you could probably say the study of. So a correct answer could be the study of. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> harmatology is the big term, because I know you like big terms, nerd fighters. The study of sin. So you could write that next to hermatology, the study of sin. So next time someone's asking you, uh, "What do you think about sin?" You say, oh, "What do you mean, hermatology?" And and then you, then you'll be cool. Hermatology, the study of sin. The sin is used 79 times again in the book of Romans. And what sin is? There's a lot of definitions out there of the, about sin. I think one of the best ones. Maybe you've heard this one before, coming from like an old Greek idea of what sin is, is an archery term. Have you heard this before? An archery term that means missing the target, and that someone would sin, they would miss the target. And so, if you messed up, or if you missed where you were aiming for, that would be the word sinning. It's an old English word, actually, for that that refers to an old Greek word. Um, But a better, just a bigger, maybe a bigger, not a better, a bigger concept of sin is to think about God who God is, and think, God is the creator. God has all things under his dominion. God is God. And so everything God does is good. Everything God does is God's ways. And so when we don't follow in God's ways, we are doing something against his will, and that is how we end up, the the word we use is sin. That's what sin is, going against God, because God is in charge of everything. God is... um, the great creator. So everything he does is, in fact, good because he's in charge, right? Think about it for just a second. So everything that God is, love, mercy, justice, when we go against those things, we're going against God. And there's very interesting to think about, you know, our society nowadays doesn't have a good, like if you ask somebody um, what, if, if they're a sinner or something, they might say, no, sin is just being really bad, like murdering someone or doing something really horrible. I'm not like that. I'm not a sinner. Um, I, don't, I don't think I'm going against any moral code as I live my life. And people will joke and they'll laugh about sin and they'll kind of laugh off um, vulgar sins. And, and it seems like there's very little today that's, that's left taboo. There's very little today that's like, oh, that's really bad. You know, besides like some big ones like murdering someone or, or uh, assaulting someone or so on and so forth. But it says this in Romans 3.23. If you turn there, in Romans 3.23, it says, this was part of the Romans road, by the way, if you were here a couple weeks ago. And it's a famous passage that said that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We've all gone against God. We've all gone against this great creator's way of doing things. And then in Romans 5.12, I'm skipping around a lot, I know. Romans 5.12, it says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, And death through sin, in this way death came to all men because all have sinned. And so every single one of us, including myself who's also a sinner, we've all messed up. We've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we are in need of confessing sin. And then it says, um, I'm going to read one more verse for you if you want to turn to this one. Romans 2.14, this is kind of going back to the idea that our society doesn't have too much to say Um, When it comes to sin, we we kind of justify a great majority of everything we do and say, oh, well, we had to do that because he did that to us. He hit me so I could hit him. Well, why did you hit him? That's wrong to hit, right? It's like, yeah, it's wrong to hit, but he hit me. I'm the victim here. And so there's all this justification for doing what you do because you're the victim or because, well, maybe that's your code. Maybe that's wrong for you, but that's not wrong for me. I feel like I could live however I want. Well, it says this in Romans two 14. I'm going to read two verses. Actually, I'm going to read it in the Message Bible, which is just another translation. It's really easy to understand. It says, When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, so when, when say, a non-Christian does good things, they confirm it's true by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within that echoes God's yeses and no's, right and wrong. We're all built. We're all, inside of us all is this moral code that we need to do good. And inside of us all is this also a sinful nature, but there's a good nature. There's a standard. Has anyone ever read um, or even read parts of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis? don't be afraid. I know there's a lot of nerds in here. Uh, C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. If you're going to read this book, read the first 30 pages. It is freakishly amazing. It's it's What he does is he takes a moral argument and proves the existence of God. Have you ever thought, man, wouldn't it be sweet if you could prove the existence of God? C.S. Lewis does it in the first 30 pages. It's amazing. What he does is he says, first of all, everyone has a standard. Everyone says, You know, I do he gives example. Um, He says these quotes. How would you like it if someone did the same to you? That's my seat. I was there first. Leave him alone. He isn't doing any harm to you. I give you a bit of my orange. Give me a bit of your orange. Um, Rarely will someone say, to heck with your standard. Who cares that you were sitting there first? Who cares that I gave you some of my orange? I'm not giving you, you. Who cares that you gave me some of your orange? I'm not giving you some of my orange there's a standard within inside of us all and then C.S. Lewis says if there's a standard there has to be a standard maker and if this there is a standard and that standard's good because it seems like the world is around revolved around goodness and loving each other then the standard maker has to be good and then if you are not totally good then you can't measure up to the standard maker and then bam C.S. Lewis says now let's talk about Christianity That's what what makes mere Christianity so cool. His starting place is saying, there's good things in this world. There's a standard. There has to be a standard maker. If there's a standard maker, that standard maker is good because the standard is good. And then if you haven't maintained the standard of the standard maker, then you are subpar to standard. And if you're subpar to standard, how will you ever be with the standard maker? Jesus Christ. (laughs) So, there you go. I just read for you the that is summarized the entire book of mere Christianity, which is an amazing argument of c s Lewis um, so, the question is if sin, if everyone is a sinner and and everyone is sinned and messed up why and and forgiveness comes through confession why don't why aren 't we fighting to be the first to confess sins, even as christians we should i think we should be constantly fighting and and almost it, like competing with each other to be the first to confess sins to God, to each other, to our friends and family. I want to read for you two verses right now. Uh, One's in Romans 3.20, if you want to turn there. Um, Romans 3.20 says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in his sight by observing the law. Rather, through the law we become conscious of sin. The, 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 The law in the Old Testament is the rules, the regulations, the Ten Commandments are all part of the law. And it says that no one will be declared righteous by observing the law. So if you look at the Ten Commandments and you say, oh, I haven't murdered anybody, I haven't lied too much, I haven't stolen, I haven't committed adultery, man, I'm good, I'm the stuff. That is not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law is to look at the Ten Commandments and say, man, I've fallen short in the area of stealing, I've fallen short in the area of lying, Um, I've fallen short in the area of hating people or being jealous And so then you take that regret and you confess it to God and you're saved by the confession of sins. One more verse for you, Romans 5.20. Romans 5.20 says this. It says, the law was added so that trespasses might increase. And then uh, Paul's famous line, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So if you read the rules of the Ten Commandments and the laws and, and the things God requires... You shouldn't look at those and say, man, I'm such a good boy. You should look at that and say, I've fallen short in some areas, yet God is perfect. I need to confess my sins to God and be the first to confess. I have a discussion question for you um, that that we'll discuss right after watching a video clip. Do you want to watch a video clip? Yes, of course you do. I love video clips too. The discussion question, I'll present it, then we'll watch the video clip. Uh, The discussion question is, why is it, or I guess just, what keeps people, either Christians or non-Christians, from confessing sins? What keeps people, Christians and non-Christians, from confessing sins? Now, the clip of the movie that I want to show you, it's not actually a movie at all. It's just a video clip of a guy named uh, Ray Comfort. Have you heard of Ray Comfort before? Is this, put his picture up there. Uh, is, he, is he up there with Kirk Cameron? Uh, Where can you get that? There he is. Hold, hold. No, it's not. No, they're, they're working on it. They're working on it. He'll figure it out. Uh, you got it? Is he with Kirk Cameron there? You knew who Kirk Cameron is, right? Uh, uh, what's his name? Something, Seaver on Growing Pains. Mike Seaver on Growing Pains. He's become a Christian. He kind of partnered with Ray Comfort. That's the guy with the sweet mustache. Um, and he uh, he is all about street evangelism and street evangelism using the Ten Commandments. And so he'll talk to people and kind of get them to a point where he says, do you believe in the 10 commandments and if they say yes i believe it's a good standard it's a good rule they'll say well have you kept them all and most people will say yeah i guess i haven't killed anybody haven't committed adultery haven't done this or that i'm pretty good i guess um, and then and then he breaks it down and says well have you ever lied have you ever done this or that and he said well you haven't kept the 10 commandments is there punishment for keeping the 10 commandments and this is this whole it's his it's a street evangelism kind of way of of getting people to a place where they they confess sin. And they, and they think to themselves, yeah, I guess I haven't kept a perfect life. But God is perfect. And so look, watch this clip. But in your mind, be thinking, what keeps people from confessing sin? You ready? Roll it.
1: Hey, can you name any of them? Um, Yes. Thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not... Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not... Oh, hold I, I know. You, 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 yeah. you know a few. Yeah, I know. Now, do you think you've kept those teen commandments? Um, yes. Okay. Have you ever told a lie? Well, at some times, you know, most every human does. So you broke that one? Yes. So what are you called if you tell a lie? A liar. Uh, have you ever stolen? No, sir, I haven't. Even something really small. Be honest before God. Well, I guess a little stuff. Like, okay. Maybe like a piece of gum or something. Oh, just a piece of gum. So what does that make you? I, well, a stealer, I guess. Thief. See, the value of the thing you steal doesn't make any difference. If I open your wallet and just take out $1, it's as bad as taking out $100. I'm a thief. Now, Jesus said if, you, if we look at a woman and lust after her, we commit adultery with her in her heart. Have you ever done that? I'm no, sorry. You looked at a woman with lust? <laughs> oh, well. Your friend over there is laughing at you. He doesn't think you're speaking the truth. Well, I mean, yes, I have looked at a woman, you know. So you've told another lie. Right? Yes. So you've really blown it, haven't you? So you've broken three commandments. Well, I've only looked at three. We haven't looked at the other seven. Have you ever used God's name in vain? Yes, sir. So instead of using a four-letter filth word to express disgust, you've taken the name of the God who gave you life and used his name as a curse word, which is called blasphemy. So on Judgment Day, when God judges you by that standard, are you going to be innocent or guilty of breaking his commandments? I would be guilty of that one. Do you think you're going to heaven or hell? Um, well, I think, think I'd probably go to heaven in the sense that that's, that's one thing that from now on I'll try to improve myself and that God might forgive me for, all my, for the sins that I've broken from that so do you think God should let murderers and liars and thieves and adulterers into heaven? I guess not. So you're in big trouble. Really, you're heading for hell, aren't you? Yeah. Does that concerning? Yes. Yes, it does. Because there's nothing more valuable than your life, is there? Would you sell one of your eyes for a million dollars? No, sir. Your eyes are precious to you, aren't they? And you are have the windows of your soul. Your soul or your life looks out those... Those eyes, now Jesus said, you're to despise the value of your eye compared to the value of your soul. He said, if your eye causes you to sin, block it out and cast it from you, for it's better to enter heaven without an eye than go to hell with both your eyes. Now, do you know why Jesus died on the cross? Why he did? For, uh, for sinning. Sinning? Well, um, he died for our sins, for the sins of the world. Of, of everybody around the world, like, you know, sacrificing himself for everyone else. Now, do you know how to uh, partake in that gift of salvation? Do you know what you should do? Well, if you were on a plane, and you knew you had to jump, and there was a parachute under the seat, what would you do? I would take the parachute. Put it on. You wouldn't just believe in it, would you? You'd put it on. Yes. That's exactly what you have to do with Jesus. The Bible says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You've got to repent, that is, turn from your sins once and for all, and put your faith in Jesus the same way you put your trust in a parachute. The moment you do that, the Bible says you'll pass from death to life, you'll come out of darkness into light, and you'll receive God's gift of everlasting life
0: set of uh questions that he kind of leads that the surfer dude into but i want you to ask just kind of very quickly within 60 seconds maybe turn to someone and say well, what are some things why are why do sometimes and a lot of times people do not whether it's christians or non-christians why is it hard for people to confess sin ready get set go for just a minute i know you're probably still talking it's a, it's a very good question would would someone be bold enough to stand up and just to say why very quickly within less than a sentence why the, uh, people do not confess sin a lot of times yes go ahead nice and loud for everyone pride fear or both good what else yes sir they don't even know yeah i think that kid was was i think he was legitimately like I haven't stolen. I, I did. I didn't know that that was a sin. I think he, there was part of that that was legitimate. I didn't know. Uh, what else? Anybody else? Yes, sir. Insecurity. Yeah. I think just saying that you are a sinner, confessing a sin, brings. You're like, oh yeah, I have, I've messed up before. I'm insecure about that. What else? One more thing. Yes, sir. In the very far back. Shame. Yeah. A true, legitimate shame comes over us. The story I told as a, as a kid, uh, beating up the little cardboard figurine of my buddy, there was such a, a shame that came over me that he had seen all of that, that, that we weren't going to be friends anymore because of the sin that I did not confess to him. A shame comes over us. I think that kid was clearly shameful. <laughs> that's just so funny. He's like, have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? No, no. He's <laughs> like, well, your friend's laughing at you. <laughs> that's, what, that's what he said there. That just a shame comes over us. Um, I want to quickly talk about soteriology. That Some of you might know what this means. Does anybody know what soteriology means? The study of... Do uh, uh, you know? Yes. Yes, the study of salvation. You can write that down. The study of salvation. I'm teaching you big words because you can handle it. This is the Mill Sunday School for crying out loud. <laughs> Soteriology, the study of salvation. There's three kind of, um, I want to say, parts of salvation. They're not so much steps of salvation, but there's kind of three parts of salvation. Salvation is saving us from our own sin, how that goes about. There's three of them there, justification, sanctification, and glorification. I'm going to put the definitions of each one of these as I talk about them on the board. And it's, it's... it's amazing it just brings i mean even as i was studying it this week and last week to prepare for this it just brings about a renewed sense of yeah that's how salvation works salvation works by confessing sins and being redeemed to god justification is saving us let's put that on the board justification is saving us from the penalty of sin and that's uh the the penalty of sin kind of a past tense kind of thing in parentheses it says there um Saving us from the penalty of sin, and so I could say, when I was in high school in tenth grade, I I believed in Jesus for the first time and received Him as my Savior, truly confessed my sins to Him, and so right now, <coughs> excuse me, quite a few years ago, I could look back and say, my sins have been, the penalty for my sins has been taken care of. That's justification. I want to read one verse for you. Uh, Romans four twenty five says this. It says. And this is talking about Jesus, obviously. He delivered over to death for our sin. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Does anyone know, like, the, the uh, I guess it's just a fun way of defining justification? Yes! Just if I'd never sinned. Everybody say, hmm, that's good. J- justification. Justice. just. As if I've never sinned is is the fun way to remember the definition of justification. But it's a past tense. We have been saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification is what's happening right now. Sanctification, put that definition up. Sanctification is saving us, being saved from the power of sin. Present tense is, is, is in parentheses there. Present tense, we are being saved right now from the power of sin. Do you remember the passage we started out with this morning and everybody was like man that's good they're like what I want to do I do not do what I hate to do I do if I do that I do and not want to do I agree the law is good do you remember that I mean it's what Paul is doing I mean it seems as though he is literally struggling with sin as he's kind of writing it he begins and says I am unspiritual sold to a slave of sin I do not do what I want to do and he, he talks about struggling with sin right here. I mean, if the apostle Paul can struggle with sin and need to confess it, then every single one of us, including myself, are able to struggle with sin, obviously, and need to confess it. But sanctification is is part of salvation that we are literally right now being saved from the power of sin. Right now we're being saved from the power of sin. And so there is a, a sort of... Uh, we have power over the the last part of this... That chapter that we read this morning is thanks to be to God through of whom Jesus Christ, who rescued me from this body of death. And he says that we're no longer sold as a slave to sin, but we're sold as a slave to righteousness, that we don't have to sin. But there's still this battle going on. I've heard it explained in the analogy of there's two dogs, two dogs living inside of us, a good dog and a bad dog. Have you heard of that before? Bort? The good dog is our is our good our, our righteous nature, and the the bad dog is our uh, possibly a sinful nature, the 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 cravings that we have. And if you do good things that you that like reading the Bible, praying, even coming to church, coming to Sunday school, uh, fellowshipping, communing with good people, people that will encourage you, you're feeding your good dog, raw delicious meat, and he's going to get stronger. <laughs> And when you do things like, oh, I'm just going to have a drink, or I'm just going to go to a bar, I'm just going to go to a club, or I'm just going to hang out with people that I know that are bad, and I might end up being like them someday, and they're just bad people, but they're fun, and I'm just going to do this or kind of go walk down this road or see what this looks like, or I'm just going to taste this or try that. You're feeding your bad dog. And if you feed your bad dog, your bad dog gets stronger. So we need to starve our bad dog. (laughs) That's sanctification. Let's look at the very last one before going on to something else. The last one is glorification. This one is, is, is the coolest one, in my opinion, the, the, the part of salvation. There's a phrase in there that says, We are already, but not yet, to be saved from the presence of sin. That little phrase, already, but not yet, have you ever heard me say it before? If you've been coming to Sunday school for a little while, uh, you've probably heard me say the phrase, already, but not yet. That we're totally saved from sin. We're totally saved from the presence of sin already. But not yet. Not yet because in heaven, we will truly, there will be no sin at all in heaven. Won't that be a sweet place? Everybody say, yeah, that will be pretty sweet. <laughs> in heaven, there will be no sin. And whatsoever, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. And that's... There's, there's a tension between, yes, that's fully happened, but no, that hasn't fully happened yet. We're not yet in heaven. And so glorification is we are already, but not yet, to be saved from the presence of sin. Kind of a future tense, that we will be saved. Um, Romans 6.11, I want to read 6.11, and then I'm going to sk- skip to 6.18. 6.11 says, in the same way, count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Count yourself now. Now. Dead to sin, but alive to Christ. It's future. You're going to be totally away from the presence of sin in heaven and in like little harps and angels and, and, and cool. No sin at all. Um, but count yourself dead to sin, but alive to Christ. And then verse 18 says, You have been set free from sin, and you've become slaves to righteousness. You're true, you're, we're going to be in heaven someday. We're going to be truly saved from all sin, all pain, all tears it 's going to be so sweet and good, and yet and yet we could get a piece of that now here, because it 's already happened, but yet not fully already, but not yet that 's a good phrase to use by the way, if you 're thinking through salvation and and I think it even helps like sometimes when you think about, well, I prayed for somebody, and, but but what I prayed for didn't happen why didn 't it happen? Christ says that we 've been given all power, and if we pray for something we'll we 'll overcome, and we'll, God will give us what we pray for. And so why hasn't that happened yet? Well, we have all power in Christ already. We do, but not yet, not fully as we will in heaven. It's kind of just a, a good phrase to use. It's not mine. I copied it from somebody else, but it's, it's worth thinking about. And so the question is back to why is it so hard sometimes to be the first to confess sin? Why is it hard to even before God confess sin? And I think there's a lot of reasons why it's hard. Um, the, 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 the one I have on the notes that I thought worth talking about is, especially in, our, in the United States and just our kind of our society, there's a lot of people that have a victim mentality. Do You know what that means? That they are always the one that's, oh, well, it's not my fault because of the, this person did this, that person did this. And there's no owning up to well, what, what I did was wrong, and I'm probably receiving what I did wrong because I made a bad decision. It's always somebody else did it to you. That's a victim mentality. I remember um, when I was on a mission trip in Los Angeles, we were at, um, has anybody ever been to Los Angeles, specifically Skid Row? Anybody? If you go to Skid Row, we were there on a mission trip, and what we were doing was uh, going around, we had sandwiches, we were giving out peanut butter jelly and like ham sandwiches, and we had Bibles, we'd give people sandwiches and a Bible, and we would just look into their eyes and say, can I pray for you about something? It looks like you've had a hard life, can I pray with you? And here's people that are, you know, if you drive down Skid Row, it's a section of Los Angeles. There's literally all these cardboard boxes, and those are people's homes. They, they wake up. They, they, a lot of them are addicted to drugs or alcohol, or lots of them have uh, disabilities, and they're just down on themselves, and, and a lot of them are truly victims. And we met this one guy that, that looked clean cut. It looked like he was wearing pretty decent clothes, um, but clean shaven uh and we uh, my first impression was oh maybe he's down here giving out sandwiches too <laughs> like maybe he's here to help but instead he came up to us and he says you guys shouldn't be here and i said and we said well we're just helping out we're doing trying to do good and he said well try to be safe it, this is a bad place and he says you got you got some money you can give me and we kind of looked at him like well oh we thought you were we thought you were here helping other people you looked you didn't look homeless you know what i mean he, he looked clean, and, and, and so we were like, uh, well, we're not giving out money today. We're giving out sandwiches. Are you hungry? He said, yeah, I'm starving. And he said, would you like one of our ham sandwiches or peanut butter sandwiches? He said, no, man, I don't, I don't like that stuff. I need, I need some money. Go get me some real food. <laughs> and there's oh okay well we're, we're not giving out money that's kind of that, that our mission trip our leader said don't give money out we're, we're here to give food and sandwiches and and pray for them and uh, but just not financially because then they could use, potentially use money to get drugs or alcohol or so on and so forth and and then so we started talking to him and he started telling us a bit of his story he said and he started blaming all these people he said you know I just I got fired a little while ago because my boss hates black people and then he said, "Yeah, my girlfriend broke up with me because she was cheating on somebody. And then her boyfriend, who's now who she's now dating, stole my car. And um, and then my older brother, he made me try drugs a couple years ago. And and then he was going on and on about his situation, how everything had been done to him, that he was he was just fine, but that that he he had been the victim of all this stuff. And and we we talked to him for a little bit, but." I just remember clearly thinking, here's a guy that is hungry but won't take our sandwiches because he wants something really nice to eat. I mean, I would eat a bologna sandwich if I was hungry. And here's a guy that's that everything has happened to him. Everything is wrong because someone else did it to him. And there was no accepting any responsibility for him living on the street. He told us, like, yeah, that's my house over there. He's a little cardboard box. But he he was, I mean, almost it seemed like he was almost a swindler or a con man. And he was just so a part of this victim mentality. Now, truly, there are victims in this world. I'm reading a book right now called The People's History of the United States. Have you ever heard of that? I'm listening to it on CD, and it's actually read by Matt Damon, and he refers to it in that, what's the movie? uh, uh Hunting, he refers to people's history of the United States. Well, there's a little line in there that refers to it, that Matt Damon's a fan of this book. And what this book does is it looks back at the United States history and says, well, let's tell the history from the perspective of true victims. And true victims, meaning possibly minorities that have literally been uh, put down in our society, women that have been put down, factory workers during the Depression and the modern era that had to work you know, 12-hour shifts, and their children had to work 12-hour shifts. And, and people, and it just goes through the history of the things of true victims in our country. And, and literally, there are, truly, there are victims in our country. And truly, there are victims in this world of sin. Yet, we don't have to have the victim mentality. And this book talks a lot about um, Martin Luther King and, and the movement uh, under Martin Luther King to, to, to free blacks from segregation and separation. And he says that Martin Luther King was truly a victim. Martin Luther King um, would, go, would, would go into a restaurant and say, I'd like a hamburger. Here's my money. And they'd say, we, well, we don't serve black people here. And so he would, what he would do is stage a sit-in. A sit-ins were, well, he would just sit there until they were going to feed him. And then he'd get some of his friends. And pretty soon the whole restaurant would be packed out with people that were black that we're not getting served. And so he would sit there. And then what would happen? Well, then the police would come in. And the police would come, pull them out, beat them up, possibly jail them. Martin Luther King Jr. was jailed. He was uh, beaten up. He was, uh, he would, he, I mean, just truly a victim from racial segregation, racial separation. And yet, did Martin Luther King have a victim mentality? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think he was a person that looked ahead. I have a dream, that, that wonderful speech that he gave. Truly someone that was a victim but did not have a victim mentality. And so I think one of the reasons to summarize that part of the, of, of, of the victim thing is that truly we have been, in a lot of ways, a lot of us in here, victims of different things Yet that doesn't give us the right to just be have a victim mentality and say, well, I don't need to confess any of my sin because other people did that to me. I don't need to confess hurting them because they hurt me first. And that's that's a bad idea. There is so much freedom that comes from the confession of sin. You know, what if we as Christians were, were the first to confess sin? That we, you know, often the church, meaning all of churches and uh, the Christian church gets accused of being, hypocritical, that we somehow are hypocrites because people will find us in sin and say, well, you know, Christians do that. I, I saw this guy doing that or doing this or that, and that's sinful. What a bunch of hypocrites. They go to church and they are they think their lives are so good and great, but they're really a bunch of hypocrites because they sin too. You know that we wouldn't at all be considered hypocrites if we were the first to confess. If you confess a sin before you're caught, did you know that there's hardly any I mean, if you go, I mean, think about the sins that you could commit. If you confess that sin before you're caught, the, the penalties are so much less. I want to end with the story of when I was in high school, um, I was a senior in high school, and we, every year we'd go on a spring retreat with a youth group, and every year, you know, would go on the spring retreat, and hundreds of people were saved, Thousands of 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 excuse me of high school students were there. I was a senior, and so I was one of the student leaders. And I had been talking to this kid that was going to school with me. His name was Jeff. And I got him to come to the youth retreat with us, the whole week-long thing. And he was sitting there. He said he was kind of a Christian but was really into he loved sinning and <laughs> making mistakes and, and doing bad things and was kind of on the verge of becoming a Christian. And he just really needed to confess, really. I mean, looking back at where he was kind of at, he needed to confess and move on. Um, and I remember the first, the first session, the first speaking uh, engagement we were at at this retreat. It was just excitement and you know, all the, the worship. And then, and then the speaker talked. And then the speaker at the end said, we have a rule here at the spring retreat. The rule is today, if you've brought anything here to, to the spring retreat that you shouldn't have, if you tell your youth pastor, there won't be any punishment. You could bring it, whatever it is you've brought, no matter how bad it is, bring it to your youth pastor and they'll they'll help you get rid of it and there will be no punishment whatsoever for bringing up whatever you brought that you know you shouldn't have brought and there was a list of things you shouldn't bring alcohol drugs guns you know pornography all this stuff and my friend Jeff as he was saying that was kind of squirming in his chair and I kind of thought maybe maybe he's got something but I didn't quite know and then later on that night the youth pastor comes to me and says Joe Jeff Jeff wants to get rid of something that he's brought that he knew he shouldn't have. He wants to he wants to meet with me and you because I I was kind of his his student leader, and and so we go into the room and Jeff's there and he's kind of teary eyed and thinking he's going to get in a tr- ton of trouble for what he's about to tell us, and so he opens up his bag and says, guys, I've brought something that I knew I shouldn't have. Um, I know that there's no punishment. The, the speaker said that we wouldn't get punished, but I don't know if this this I don't know if I'm going to go home, not or not. I just want to confess this to you guys. And he opened up his suitcase, and he had bottles, per, uh, plural, of, of, of big bottles of alcohol. Probably, I mean, we were only there for six days, and he probably had six big bottles of alcohol. And he said, you know, I came up here, and I didn't know what I was going to expect in this, this retreat, but, but I just thought maybe I could just get drunk and, and have my own party here and, not, and just kind of be dead to the world. But I want to confess this to you guys and so and, and and instead of punishing him the youth pastor looked at him and then they hugged and said man no matter no matter what you brought up here because you've confessed it and you've confessed it now there's no punishment we're going to dump this out into the sink and and there's no punishment he said so that's it i you're not going to tell my parents you're not gonna you're not gonna kick me out you're not gonna send me home he said no there's no punishment whatsoever you can tell your parents what you want um, but we're not going to send you home we're not going to tell your parents this is a free you're you're free from any penalty of bringing this alcohol on the trip and i just thought what if he hadn't done that what if he waited another two days and then was caught with that amount of alcohol he would have been kicked out he would have gone home his parents would have you know heard from it and he would have you know just had to leave the trip he probably would have hated the youth pasture and the youth retreat and thinking, man, they're, they're a bunch of legalists. They only let me drink or, you know, whatever it was. But instead, he was the first to confess sin. And there's so much freedom and power and salvation in confessing sin. And that's one of the main themes of the book of Romans. Would you close your eyes and, and pray with me this morning? God, we, right now in this room, we worship you, God. We worship you with our mind and our thoughts We welcome you in here as the Mill Sunday School. and Just say, God, we love studying your word. We love studying your truth and salvation and sin. These things that are very dear to you, these theologies that are very important to us. So right now, God, we, we bring this message into our hearts and say, God, would you forgive us of sin? Would you remind us, even right now as I'm praying, would you remind us of sin that we need to confess to you? Sin that we may need to confess to our friends or our neighbors or our family. God, confession brings about, we know that confession brings about so much peace, so much salvation, so much repentance, and, and, and very little punishment. Because you said that you will forgive us of all sin that we confess to you. And we thank you, God, for separating our sins. You say as far as the east is from the west. And you make us as white as snow and pure. And so, God, our prayer this, this morning is that you will truly forgive us of the sins that we confess to you and remind us of sins so that we can be the first to confess, so that we can fight to be the first to confess sins to you or sins to the ones that we have have wronged. And so, God, we love you. We praise you. We walk out of here knowing that we are made as white as snow because of what you did on the cross, that we can walk out of here in joy, that we can talk about sin for an hour, but then walk out of here filled with joy because you have overcome sin. And so, God, we are thankful, we love you, and we praise you. And it's in your name, Jesus. And everybody said, Amen.